Welcome to another episode of Deep Shift. I am Michael Armstrong. My guest today is the host of the Further Liberation podcast, Michael Dunphy. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me on. So I think this is cool because I was on your podcast, which was a three-hour epic adventure. Mm-hmm. And now you're on my podcast, uh, which is going to be a one-hour, hopefully also epic adventure. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, but both are, are kind of uh, in the spiritual vibe. I've been looking at some of your latest posts and talking about raising your vibration, talking about the frequency of love, um, which I think is super. I think when you were talking about the loved one, there was like a little bug. <laughs> like flew, oh, yeah. Flew onto your hand. Landed like, on my hand, yeah. <laughs> well, no, I think it landed on my face and I tried to wipe them off. And I was like, oh, no. And I, I edited it because I, I was actually staring at this bug for like, maybe a minute or two. <laughs> and uh, I ended up like messing up his legs. So he could, he was trying to walk away and I was like, go ahead, fly. And he just wouldn't go. But, yeah, yeah. He was just hanging out with me for a bit, but he was all right. <laughs> I love that you kept that in the video. I was talking about love, you know, and love for all beings. So I know, I know. Same here. Whenever I find a spider in my house, I, uh, I, I never kill them. I always like pick them up, you know, or a little piece of paper or tissue and, and let them go. Mm, yeah, um, same. I just feel like it's bad luck to kill spiders in the house. Sure, yeah. yeah. They protect you too, man. Like they keep the bugs out that you don't want. They keep the bugs out exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they're, they're kind. They're kind creatures. Mm-hmm. I'm not totally sure how I feel about. It. So, like sometimes there's like little tiny bugs that like like a mosquito. I have no problem killing a mosquito. Mm, yeah, that's fair. I get it. You know, there was a there was a time where like I you know I was just I guess getting way more used to the practice of what is it called ahimsa? Are you familiar? No. I think it's a Buddhist practice. Or I don't even know, but ahimsa mainly means like to be kind to all beings no matter what. Mm-hmm. So I remember I was out one time with my friends and we were at a cabin and it was really warm out. So I was walking around with my shirt off and there was all kinds of sand flies and mosquitoes. And where we come from in Labrador in Canada, the, the bugs are crazy. Like you get eaten alive. It's insane. I, can't, so I was just I can't like, okay, you know, it's just a little pinch. I can handle the pain and they're just trying to eat their dinner. <laughs> so, so you're just letting them bite you for the most part. But every now and wow. then I get a little, I'd be lost in conversation with my friends and then I, I guess I was a little bit less conscious and I would feel one bite me and I'd go, Oh, I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. There's a, a picture of Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he went to, I don't know, it was like a retreat. It's not like meditation retreat. I don't know what exactly it was, but he ended up in a cave meditating for like an hour. And the cave was just full of mosquitoes. Right. And he, sh- he shows a photo of himself and it's just like, he li- he's literally like orange with like thousands of mosquito bites all over. And he's just meditating while they're just sucking his right. blood. See, that's, that's the mentality I have. Cause like when I am in a higher state of consciousness, I can just, I can breathe through whatever little pinch a mosquito gives me. It doesn't bother me if I'm not at a lower vibration kind of thing. Yeah, maybe, I, maybe I've just been at a lower vibration because I just don't like when they suck my blood. I think it's inconsiderate and a little bit rude. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. And, and when I squish it, it like, it like pops with like blood. And I'm yeah. like, oh, that's my blood. Oh, man. <laughs> He's just been feasting on me all night. Yeah, right. <laughs> but for the most part, I, I'm like with insects, you know, the tiny little things. I, I just put myself in there 
in their shoes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, they're just trying to enjoy their, their life, you know, and, and I don't want to be that big guy who comes in and just kills them for no reason. So exactly. You know? Right. Even for the most part, reason to kill, then why do it? Yeah. Unless it's a mosquito then I'm like, Hey, you should come back <laughs> as a caterpillar and become a beautiful butterfly. <laughs> Maybe in your next life. There you go. Yeah. You know, or like ants. Like there, I had an ant infestation in my house, and I was like, I wonder if you know. At first, I was like trying to like get them out, mm-hmm. but then it was like nearly impossible. There were so many, so yeah. I just had to kind of wipe them up and put them down mm-hmm. the sink. You know, I was like, yeah. oh man. We still is- operate in this world, you know. In this world operate. in general, like you can practice ahimsa as much as you want. But just the very fact of washing your own body, you're killing billions of bacteria. So there's True. always going to be death, no matter what. So the best you can do is reduce it as much as you possibly can and practically can. Yeah, that's such a great point. Yeah, there's, there used to be bumblebees in LA where I grew up. And mm. uh, as like a little kid, I would run around spring raid on them. Mm. <laughs> and they'd fly up and then just fall down. Right. <laughs> now, for some reason, as a guy, I got a kick out of that as a kid. Which uh, yeah, I was the same way. I love killing little things when I was a kid. I was always killing bugs and stuff, and just getting a little bit of joy. It makes you feel a little bit powerful when you do so. No, right? Like hunting. I remember I went hunting with my my buddies and uh, uh, like with like BB guns. I've never been hunting okay. with an actual gun. Any good yet? But with like a BB gun, and and we were shooting lizards. I shot this lizard, and the BB went straight through one eye and out the other. No way. Instantly died. I was like, whoa. Oh my God. And I looked at it. I was like, I never want to do that again. Right. (laughs) Don't blame you, man. If you're going to, if you're going to die by BB, like that's the way to do it. You know, like Mm. instant, just boom, done. And so my friends would go out and, and they'd be like trying to shoot birds and I'd be like shooting the the branches so that they would scare them and and they'd fly away. Ah, it's like that uh, episode of the Simpsons. You ever see that? I don't know. Which episode uh, is that? Bart goes to hang out with Nelson, you know, the school bully. Yeah. And Nelson has a BB gun and he takes Bart outside and they're, Nelson is trying to shoot birds. And then um, Bart goes to shoot one. And I think he, he uh, moves to the left to avoid, he's like, I don't want to do it. Like you can see he's like battling with this. He's like, I don't want to kill the bird. So he moves to the left and tries to shoot next to the bird, but he shoots the bird anyways. And Nelson's like, Oh man, you got him even with the crooked sight. He's like, Oh, Uh, and then Bart feels terrible because the bird was a mother and had eggs in a nest. And that was a really powerful episode, man. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. That, that, that was me. That was me as a kid. And it's just, yeah. I got a pretty interesting story about that, man. When I was young, uh, I didn't go hunting very many times, but, uh, there was one time where I went with my dad and my uncle. I was probably like maybe 12 or 13 years old. And my dad and my uncle were the, doing the shooting. Me and my cousin, who was a year younger than me, um, they would shoot partridge. I don't know if you're familiar, but they're a small like bird. Mm. Anyways, so they'd shoot the partridge and they'd shoot them with a shotgun. So if they were too far away and uh, there, was enough, there wasn't enough blast to actually kill the partridge, then me and my cousin were like the bloodhounds, like the, the dogs. We would run out and get the partridge. And if it wasn't dead, we would pick it up and choke it to death. <laughs> and I can remember doing that. And the first time I did it, I picked one up and I was like, you know, and then oh, I could God. feel this. Oh my God. It was such an uncomfortable feeling. I didn't like it at all. But at that time, when I was that young, I was just good at shutting down my feelings in general. So I was like, no, nope, can't think of this. So I just shut it out. 
And then since I shut it out completely, I had no connection to the animal after that. And then every time my dad or my uncle would shoot one, me and my cousin Mark would be like racing to get to the partridge because we were so pumped. We were no so way. like, yeah, it was like a competition, you know, who can get to the partridge first kind of thing. Oh, it's crazy. Check it out. Who can? Wow. So the first time you did it, it kind of like numbed it. And then after that, you're like, yeah. yeah. Once I shut off that emotion, it was just nothing anymore. And I was able wow. to completely disregard their lives, just treat them as objects, essentially. That's fascinating. I mean, that kind of like makes sense why why some people just like go go out shooting and like killing yeah. animals and stuff. They completely disassociate from like the fact that you know there's a single consciousness and that animal is another version of ourselves just living in exactly. a different tiny yeah. space. That's mm-hmm. trippy, dude. That's that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Shutting off emotions. I feel like it's a very masculine thing to do. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, pure pure. I was very much encouraged to that when I was young. Yeah. What, what kind of helped you get, have, have you got out of that? Are you still choking? Oh, yeah. oh man. I, I feel my emotions so intensely nowadays. It's crazy. Sweet. But yeah. And I welcome it. I embrace it every time now. I don't ever shut down my emotions because that just creates tension within my body and True. then which creates tension within my mind and my soul or whatever. It's just, you know, yeah. So it's hard to let energy flow through you and feel that joy of living when you're holding on to an emotion you never prop processed properly right yeah yeah that's the new the new masculine is is fully in touch with his emotions still still a powerful being you know still Mm -hmm. still that powerful leader brings Mm -hmm. brings it but um in touch with his his emotions and lets others you know creates the space for others to be in touch with their emotions right that's like that's like the divine masculine that's that's Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's kind of like that. What's happening on the planet right now? Because uh, you know we've dominated the planet, masculine energy, the masculine dominant force for the last few thousand years. You know, yeah. enslaving people and killing and wars and mm-hmm. you know that's like that's like the the macro scale of what we're talking about here with like hunting little birds. Like mm-hmm. we've been hunting each other for thousands of years, and and yeah. we've just been like totally cool with it and like conquering planets and taking over lands and pillaging villages and whoo that's a that's a lot we're like yeah, skidding on the brakes right now yeah i know i are finally starting to realize what we've been doing <laughs> yeah it's the like, effect we've had yeah yeah right and it's like you know to a certain point it was necessary to to like protect ourselves and to like conquer this planet to so like really we had we had to get around this planet first and explore and figure out what was going on but right and then there was other villages and then they're hostile and you treat them with respect but all of a sudden they sabotage you it's just it's it's crazy mm. and it's how it's kind of still happening around the planet with with all different all different countries but right now it's like the divine feminine is rising mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is back to equilibrium man yeah exactly exactly yeah. it's both right yeah some people I, I was i was listening to this podcast and someone was like upset about um uh, you know the 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 futurist female those shirts, mm, yeah. Uh, which I always thought was super cool because yeah, futurist female that's legit. Yeah, we'll have <laughs> female leaders all over the place, but it, it it isn't about like the future isn't isn't female. The future just has more feminine energy. Mm-hmm. We yeah. need more female leaders because they bring the feminine energy. Mm-hmm, exactly. So yeah, that that equal your equilibrium, like you said, is is just so important mm-hmm. and. I guess that's that's kind of what we're stepping into mm, yeah exactly yeah that whole destruction and pillaging thing 
is not working anymore. Well, that never worked for a long time. But there was, yeah. like you said, there was a time where we needed to protect ourselves when we were in more of a, a generalized fear mindset that came from the actual fear of not knowing if the tribe a couple miles away from you is going to hurt you. So you take that whole preemptive uh, strike type of mentality. But nowadays, um, the fear comes from, I guess you could say, a different source. It's not necessarily that our neighbors are threatening. It's somebody who wants to control us are telling us that our neighbors are threatening. <laughs> when in reality, when you speak to your neighbors, they're like, oh, I don't want to hurt you. But you're not listening to your neighbors. You're listening to the guy who is on TV that says, question your neighbors. They mm. could hurt you. So, yep. yeah, as well, man. That is interesting. Yeah. It's like, we don't, we no longer have the fear of, of where are we going to get food? You know, do we, right. are we going to hunt? Is there going to be a, do we, you know, is there a pack of wolves that we can hunt in the nearby area or, mm. you know, how, we no longer have that, but it's almost like people still have that built in desire to feel the fear. It's like this addiction to it. Mm. Turn on the news and, and just, oh yes. Like tell me about all the people who have been killed today. Like what? Mm. Yeah. I... <laughs> really? We subject yeah. ourselves to that. Why? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty intense. Yeah. I think that whole idea of the, the desire to do it, it, it comes from the desire for safety. You know, when you're, when you're acting out of rage or you're being aggressive towards someone else, you convince yourself that you are preventing your own demise. You know, if I go hurt them first, then they can't hurt me. And that kind of mentality is like what thrive uh, what, you know, fuels uh, police forces, uh, militaries, all that kind of thing is like, they might hurt me. So in order to prevent that and protect me and my family, I'm going to go hurt them first. Yeah. And I get the strategy. It, sure, it makes sense on some level, but when you get to a higher level and understand that you are them, then yeah. it's a totally different thing. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the next level. That's the next level to recognize that we are a single consciousness just experiencing this in a fractalized pattern. Yeah, that, 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 I, think, I think that's kind of a part of the awakening that's happening on this planet. Mm-hmm. People grasping that. People understanding that, that yeah, we're literally one. Like, you are, are me, you know? It, <laughs> we, we all are the same consciousness. It's this mm-hmm. I am existence. It's like, I am energy. If, if you can say, like, if you refer to yourself as I, you know, and like, do you exist? Like, yeah, I, I exist. If, if you call yourself an I, that's just the simple energy that you're reflecting back to yourself as mm-hmm. an identification of the I am consciousness. But it just happens to be floating in this body. Mm-hmm. We, just, yeah. we just happen to have it in this body. And, and this body makes it feel as though it's separate. Mm, yeah, exactly. Because you don't necessarily always directly feel the pain of others or the joy of others you can on some level. And when you open yourself up to those things and get rid of your own personal boundaries of belief of you being separate, then you can do it on way deeper levels. Like you could say that when we come into this world as children, we're a lot more pure. We have a lot less, a lot less self identification. So we have the ability to pick up on others emotions really deeply. And that's why like parents can really transfer their, their negative emotions to their Mm. kids and they could think they're being the best parent in the world, doing everything right in their eyes. But just having your own anger or having your own resentment or guilt your, or fear even, your child picks up on that energy 
and just feels it, but doesn't know how to process it properly. So it kind of gets stuck in there. And then even though you think you're doing the best job ever and everybody around you might think the same thing too, your child could still end up with really deep emotional problems because they just picked up on the energy that you picked up on. And it's really common with animals as well. Like you'll often see dogs that are exactly like their owners in the way their demeanor, Mm. uh, their emotional expression is exactly like their owners because they are like, that's my God. My God feels this. So I'm going to feel it too. Essentially. They just take on what you feel because they want to be in tune with you. The more in tune they are with you, the better they can respond to you and work with you essentially. It just goes to show how much of a reflective reality is. Reality Mm. is like, reality it is <laughs> it is a reflective reality yeah. and then like what we put out and like we put our, our vibration out there you know like what does it mean to to have a vibration and to to put it out into the planet right and it's it's literally just that like vibrations are sound vibrations are light like like wave frequencies like it, it literally is what is projected outward into a bubble that can receive your your energy and uh yeah it's that's it's fascinating with the animals it kind of like makes you realize that like when you're in a good mood you can really project that outward you can put that outward Mm. around you can get affected by it in such pleasant ways you know Mm -hmm. we don't really have the senses to to sense energy like some some of us kind of do you know like some Mm. more intuitive people and more connected people but for the most part it's like yeah we can't feel pain in others Mm. Well, I would argue that we all do have that capacity. It's just that we aren't uh, encouraged or nurtured to uh, encouraged to nurture that ability. Totally. You know, when we're young, we're taught yeah. to cut ourselves off from others. But yeah. there are those who don't or weren't taught that or just simply can't. And they end up being the ones who are empaths or psychics or mediums because they're tuning mm-hmm. into something deeper than what we do. We're told when we're three years old, that everything we see that is supernatural or mystical in any way is just our imagination and we should ignore it. So then we just box it up in our mind as fake. And then whenever we think we're feeling someone else's energy, we just convince ourselves that's just my own mind playing tricks on me. But it's a mixture of both. Your mind is telling you something. It's still going through the filter of your mind, but you are receiving the energy from outside as well. Right. Like channeling, you know, it's like, like, I I believe that as a kid, I, I was channeling. Um, things would come to me, but no one told me that that existed. Right. The only reference to things coming to you in, in like pop culture was people who were crazy and were hearing voices. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? I, I think, I think we can raise kids in, in such a, such a different way, almost like X-Men, like an like mm. a, like a X-Men Academy kind of style where like mm-hmm. really like hone people's gifts. Like you recognize yes. tell them like what's possible and then you, open, open the minds of, 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 of children. Yeah, exactly. If, if all kids were aware of the infinite realm of possibility that is within Mm -hmm. them, then they would gravitate exactly to where they are strongest. You know, if they know truly they can do anything, then if their DNA or, you know, their energetic makeup is more in tune with psychic abilities or telepathic abilities or, healing abilities, then they would naturally fall into that role. Yep. Yep. That's, and, and the kids that are being born now, it's like, you, like my, my cousin had a, had a, my best friend had a kid, like 
you look in their eyes and it's like they have these all-knowing eyes. <laughs> yeah, and it's like not all babies have that. Not all babies mm. that I've seen. Some, some are just babies. They're just like, you know, they're just kind of like, but like, yeah, especially some of the some of the recent kids, like they just seem special. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They just seem like they're, they're special. And with like Dolores Cannon, you know, all those stories of, of in the Dolores Cannon books of, mm-hmm. um, you know, souls that are choosing to come to this planet to awaken people, right. to raise the frequency of this planet. Uh, some of those higher conscious beings, like maybe the like a- angels or the angelic beings or, or the beings who live in existences or planets where like everything's like pretty chill and everyone loves each other. And there's no war. They're not going to come to a planet that's just completely crazy. You know, like they won't come here for that. Like that, that's going to it just mess up their soul. They can get lost here. Yeah, man. Mm-hmm. But we're starting like now we got the Internet. We're connected like we 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 we're not we're no longer like dominating the planet now we're like okay wait, how can we heal the planet it's like i think now we're at a time where a lot of these souls are are volunteering to come yeah exactly they are aware of the shift and they are here to keep it going essentially and encourage it they're they're really cool to see by the end of 60 years ago or something like that not many higher beings were jumping at the opportunity to go live on earth <laughs> yeah exactly and like 200 years ago it was like slavery like 500 years ago where it's just like kings and like total dominant like just kill whoever for saying anything yeah 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 totally and yeah it's it's just a recent just a recent thing where you're not killed for saying what you want i mean mm-hmm. still it, well it's not- i don't know some degree i think it still happens behind the shadows yep yep definitely know. some people are suiciding themselves all the time after mm-hmm. speaking out their whole life about something that uh, goes against the grain and even though they might have said i will never commit suicide you know they just happen to end up with a, a rope around their neck yeah i think it still happens just it's it's more it's more discreet now back in the day like you said 500 years ago if you speak out against the king you'll be publicly killed. And yeah. that's just like, so the king can show you do not question me. Yeah. And now, if you speak out against uh, the powers that be, they will pretend that you are free to speak as much as you want, but then they might put some poison in your food or something like that. Yeah. Who knows? It definitely. Well, that's what it seems to me anyways. I can't prove any of that, but yeah, I, I, seems I think like there's evidence I mean, for it. it I, I, have, I have seen plenty of those uh, those people. So like if, if you have dirt on someone too high up and you start to speak out, if yeah. they start to feel as though they are being threatened, then yeah, if they're that powerful, they have ways to make you kind of disappear. Then you'll uh, suicide. You'll commit suicide in your jail cell when all the cameras are off and all the, right. the guards that were supposed <laughs> to be watching you are just on their break, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's it. Yeah. Cause Jeffrey Epstein, he was, he was with, powerful powerful people and Mm -hmm. and yeah he had a lot to say yeah but i think for the most part like we we can talk about like spirituality religion we can talk about stuff like that Mm. and i don't think we're really gonna get killed for that Mm -mm. no it's when you really have the uh the power to really change the, the way things are because i think the powers that be are trying to figure out what to do now because they've wanted to pretend that they could give us freedom 
So they allowed us to research all these subjects and say you could have freedom of religion or freedom of expression, but then people use that freedom to find the truth. And now those people with the truth are speaking up and growing all the time. And the powers that be are like, oh man, didn't see this coming. Hmm. What do we do? <laughs> so, you know, but, yeah. uh, it's inevitable now in my eyes, man. There's no doubt in my mind that we are moving towards a more, harm a more harmonious world. And the people that control with fear are just going to lose their power. Doesn't mean they're going to die. Doesn't mean we're going to put them in jail. Who knows what could happen? A lot of them might have beautiful redemption stories where they're like, I only controlled people because I was terrified all the time. Yep. And that's the way I was raised. Or I had a gun in my head saying that if I don't become this dictator or whatever, then uh, I was going to be killed. So, you know, who knows how it could go from here. But um, one thing I am for sure of is that we're moving into a loving world. Yes, we definitely are, you know, and I believe in, in pure abundance. I think we have plenty of resources to go around and it's not like, it's not about uh, taking down the 0.01%, you know, it's not about like, because if you take them down, someone else who's in the 99.99% who gets in that position of power is going to act exactly the same. Exactly. It, it's, it's, it's more of a, a mentality shift. Like mm. they can still live their millionaire, billionaire lifestyle while also being in of service to others mm, you know, and yeah. shifting some of that money like to, to live an extravagant lifestyle billionaires that's kind of like a totally different class but like mm. the millionaire lifestyle yeah i think i think everyone could potentially live a millionaire lifestyle i mean yeah everything's possible pure, mm -hmm. pure abundance is is 100 possible so oh absolutely man yeah it's not like spreading the wealth creates it's not yeah it's it's I, I believe we're on a path to a much more harmonious, beautiful future, like you said. Mm -hmm. That new earth energy. Totally, man. Bringing that new earth energy. We're already there in many ways. Right. Yeah, we really are. We really are. It's like we were saying, it's, it's a level of consciousness, right? You and I are there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's some people that are still afraid to take leaps. You know, they're like, oh, I don't know if I can give this up because it's always served me. The system has always served me. The only reason why I'm here and some people aren't is because the system never served me. <laughs> when I tried to operate within the system, I didn't get rewarded. You know, yeah. I felt I always had that to struggle in, in the system. So rather than just continuing to struggle, I started to question me like, is this really the best way to operate human life? Like, isn't there a better way than competition and greed and, and, and uh, you know, killing and murder and all that negative stuff that comes with it. And I found the answers, which was very obvious. Of course there is, you know, I treat my family. Well, I treat my fan, my friends. Well, why can't we all operate on that level where we just share with one another, give to one another and uh, receive, you know, and we all have everything we need. And like you said, abundance is a reality. Um, we have the opportunity. We have, we have the resources. It's just that there's people who, think they own the resources and they won't let anybody else have them. So they give them to us mm -hmm. at a price because they want to keep their position of power. But when billionaires have a scarcity mindset, that's a bit frightening. Mm, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Got Got to take it all. Got to take it all. Got to, got to keep it all. I can't let them have it. I'm mm -hmm. going to lose it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, and right now on the planet with all the protests and, and police reform and, you know, black lives matter movement, it's like, I, I've been, I, it's been fascinating watching the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, from George Floyd 
to just this explosion of energy. It's like everyone was inside for two and a half months from the pandemic. And then the moment we could all get behind a cause, it was like so many people were activated by what was happening. I think everyone's hearts were opening up during the pandemic because there was all the fear of death and you know, just like, what does this mean on a global level? Like, will life ever be the same? And it was maybe scary for people. And then once that moment happened, it was like everyone just took to the streets. Yeah. It's like we are we are fighting. We are fighting for a cause. We are fighting for uh, the benefit of humanity for the for the future. Yeah. And, you know, from from Black Lives Matter, which is, is just such a great almost like keyhole. You know, it's like that was something we could all get behind. Mm. And once we look through that keyhole, there is so much more behind that the energy of um, putting down black people or slavery or, you know, that, that kind of energy is that affects us all. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. now, you know, now we're really seeing that with all like the police reform and, and everything that's gone down. Yeah. I love it, man. I love seeing people have those conversations about like, you know, I understand that there are people that, you know, don't consider themselves racist and they'll be like, no, I, I, I likes everyone. You know, I get along with everyone. No big deal. I don't care what color you are. But they might still have some inherent patterns, some conditioning that they developed when they were a kid to see them differently. Even if they don't necessarily see them as negative, they might see them differently and like, oh, well, we have these abilities as white people and those people as black people can't do that as well because just, just the way they are or something like that. You know, they might still have these ideas that they are incapable of some things because of who they are but then they really analyze those thoughts and they're like well i never really thought of it that way i always thought that i saw everyone equal but apparently i don't and to just give you an example the way i was when i was younger i was kind of conditioned by tv and rap music to degrade women and i always seen them and I always seen them somewhat as less than me, but I didn't believe that. Like if you asked me when I was 17 years old, if I treated women equal, I would have been like, hell yeah, I treat them more equal than anybody else. Because what I used to do is treat them as I treated my guy friends. You know, I wouldn't, if they were act, like, if they were having an intense emotional experience, I was like, ah, get over it, get over it. No big deal. Like the same way I would my guy friends. I didn't understand that my guy friends at Hall practiced how to push down their emotions because that's the way they were raised. But these Mm -hmm. girls in my life, they were encouraged to feel their emotions. So they didn't have that skill to just shut it out. You know what I mean? And it's not a healthy skill to have anyways. So I realized later in life that I thought I was treating them equally, but I was treating them how I thought everybody should be treated. Like I thought everybody should be told that they should get over their emotions and when I seen women being more emotional in general, I seen that as a weakness because that's how I seen my emotion in my own self. Mm. But after figuring that out, that my emotion wasn't my weakness, it was actually my avoidance of the emotion that was the weakness. Mm. I started to really tune into my own emotions. And in turn, in a way, I tuned into that feminine energy within myself. And then I really started to understand the plight of women. I was like, man, they got it rough, man. I was like, holy shit, how have I been just trying to 
shoved them away. I'm like, get over it. There's no big deal. You know, that kind of attitude doesn't work for everyone. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it helps. You know, there's times where you need to be snapped out of it. There's times where I've had emotional responses and my friends are like, man, just, you got to let it go. And just the way they say it was so powerful that you're like, I'd be like, yeah, you're right. And I would be able to move past it a little bit because of the urgency they kind of spoke to me with. But as sometimes I would need somebody to hug me and be like, it's going to be okay. Cry it out, you know, do those things. But my mentality was always just dismiss their emotions mm-hmm. and tell them to get over it and tell them to grow up essentially. But that's not the right way to go about it. So I yeah. started to realize that I seen, even though I thought of in my mind, I was treating everybody the same, even though I thought that I was being kind to women and men alike, I still didn't treat women with respect because I seen them as emotional beings who were stupid and never used their intellectual logical minds. Because mm. like, for my materialist type of mentality, I thought that logic and reason was always the answer. Emotions were never the answer. Uh, to me, emotions are just there to teach you a lesson and then you got to get over it and let it go. So yeah, I, I basically shunned them and didn't respect them because I didn't think they were logical, rational beings, whereas I thought men were. And if men acted with emotion, I wouldn't have respect for them either. I only respected the people who were staunch into logic and reason and never let their emotions control them whatsoever. But now I realize it requires a balance. Sometimes you got to listen to your head. Sometimes you got to listen to your heart. And when those two are in odds with each other, you listen to your gut. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I've been learning so much from women lately. Mm. Like what you're saying with emotions, you know, emotions are so powerful. And to be, to, to have emotions that kind of like, you know, like go everywhere uh, or, or to, or to like be in control of your emotions, even control, like it's such a masculine way of looking at it, yeah. but like, but to, to just like, kind of just to love your emotions. It's like, if sadness comes up, to just love the sadness and be like, Hey, I see you sadness. Like, is there anything that you want to, you want to teach me or tell me, mm-hmm. you know? And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh yes, I do. Like, I just want to cry and I just want to, you know, release. And it's just this, thank you for, for acknowledging me. And then all of a sudden the sadness leaves and you're like, yeah, I feel a lot better now. <laughs> yes. And yeah. like, ultimately, it's just, it's a vibrating energy. And if you ignore it or try to keep it from getting out, then it's just going to be stagnant and it's going to vibrate oh. within you, increase that tension. Suppression of energy? Mm. Yeah, suppression of energy. That's like school shootings. All that like terrible stuff is, is just suppressed energy mm. over and over and over until it just like turns into this like weapon inside of our being that just, sprays out in horrible ways it's like yeah the suppression the suppression of emotion does not does not help anyone mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you it gotta feel it man it. you gotta feel it in order to heal it you gotta feel it in order to heal it, you gotta feel it Ooh, mm-hmm. wise words from michael never heard that before that's not my words but it's brilliant it's accurate yeah pure brilliance yeah mm-hmm. it's it's so true and 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 it's like you know, right now I'm starting to realize that like silence, like to be sound, to think like, oh, that everyone's equal, you know, men, women, black people, you know, all, all of us, like, oh, it's just, we're all just equal. And it's just, that's almost a way of avoiding. Mm. Like, I, oh, I don't see color. I, I don't, I don't think about race, you know, all that. Mm. It's almost like, because 
there, there's so many aspects in, in our society that does not help black people. Like whether it's how uh, the financial system is, is giving money to communities, like it gives a lot more money to, to you know, communities, maybe white communities or ethnic communities. And, and because maybe a black community doesn't have as much money, it's like they're not raised as well. Maybe their education isn't as good. And maybe that creates more uh, like gangs and violence and all that. And to just be like, I don't see race almost puts everything that's happening that's that's just destructive for them. Kind of, it it almost makes us blind to it. Mm-hmm. Like, nah, I don't really want to look at that because mm-hmm. it's 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 uncomfortable. So it's like now what I see the energy is is really speaking up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, sharing. I think that uh, I think that mentality. It comes like the people who experience, I think they think it comes from a good place because the way I'm seeing it, the way I understand it is that they are imagining what it could be. You know, maybe in a hundred years time when we've gotten through all this separation nonsense, we realize we're all the same, then maybe we won't really notice when someone's a different color than us. You know, we won't really take notice of that. Like we don't analyze everybody's handprints and look at their finger like their fingerprints and be like your fingerprints are different than mine you don't see fingerprints you know what i mean we don't care about that so maybe in the future we can get to that point where we literally don't even acknowledge the idea that somebody is a slightly different color than us but right now in order to make that change we have to we have to recognize that the system is built in a way that does favor certain types of people over others So to advance yourself and just jump to that future consciousness and just say, I don't see it that way. That's all fine and dandy. But if you're trying to really change what's going on right now, you got to address that there are some differences and ultimately there isn't like it all just is illusion. You know, the fact that I'm white and someone else is black is just an illusion. We're all the same consciousness as we said, but in order to tackle those issues and get everybody on board with that type of unity consciousness, then we need to talk about how it has been different for some people up until now. Now, from going forward, we can build a system that isn't different for anybody, where we can truly have equality or equity. But right now, in order to even start with that, we have to acknowledge, yes, I'm white, you're not, and that may be tough for you in some ways because I haven't experienced something that you may have because of the situation you grew up in. So let's change that by talking about it. You share your experience with me. It'll educate me on how to um, avoid perpetuating that system myself within my own consciousness. And then we can move from that. We can create something different. But if you're just jumping to the end and saying, I don't see race, Mm. then you're just like saying, I'm at the finish line. Come over when you're ready. But people are like, how did you get there? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, like, can you help us get there? You know, we need right. some help over here. Yeah, so, you're like seeing people struggling and you're like, ah, I've already made it to the end. It's beautiful over here. You know, yeah, stop struggling. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's similar to uh, what's referred to in, uh, and again, I don't know if it's Buddhism or Hinduism. I always get it mixed up, but the Bodhisattva path. You ever heard of that? No. So the Bodhisattva is the being that has the capacity to attain nirvana, but chooses to remain in the, like the duality consciousness to bring people to nirvana. But see, there's some people who have that enlightenment experience, that awakening experience, and then they just go into a cave as a monk and meditate all day. 
and they don't say or do anything. Now that's necessary as well. Every single role is necessary. So there, we do need to see that consciousness that one day we will get to a point where there was no race, but there needs to be people that says, I've seen what it's like to not see race, but I'm going to choose to see race for now so I can show you how you've seen race and how you separate people. But truly, I don't, I don't really, I know in factual, in the fact of things, there is no difference between the races. It's just an illusion that this world has encouraged and set up a system that is based around that. So it's necessary for those people to see that endpoint, but then also come back to where we are and say, this is how we all get to the end. We need bodhisattvas. We need people that's got to nirvana, but come back and take on a human experience so they can show us how to get to the enlightenment stage. If we didn't have them, then we'd all be staring at the guy in the cave and be like, how does he do it? We wouldn't know. We would question him for hundreds of years until somebody else had that enlightenment experience. But when somebody chooses to have that teacher type of mentality, be like, I've been in nirvana, but I've come back to show you that you can get there too. So we need those people that say, yeah, I've seen what it's like to not see race in my own consciousness. And in many ways I don't, but I've come back into the duality of white and black. So I can show you how you've been seeing black as less than, or you've been seeing white as better than. We need to educate those people that still don't understand what's going on there. And then we can take them to that higher state of consciousness. But if you don't, if you just try to jump to the end, and you're not helping the entirety of the human race. You're only helping yourself avoid that emotion of that separation. Yeah, so much so, so much so. I, uh, I recently had a, I did an interview with Oren Harris, who's a, a spiritual teacher. He's black. And we were just having a conversation about all this. And, and he, he was saying how, like, you got you to gotta approach it from your heart and with, with everything. And you got to speak to your heart. And we were talking about how, like, there's a lot of white people who, who they want to help but they're almost scared to. They're scared to say something wrong. They're scared to offend people. And, you know, what he was talking about, like what it comes down to is share that. Share that you're afraid to speak up because you don't know if you're going to say the right thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Just keep keep sharing without thinking like, oh, this may hurt people, this may trigger people. Um, because as you do, people will respond to it and they'll reflect it back to you. And it creates mm. that open dialogue. You know? mm. It's like right now is, is a time for the throat chakra. It's the time for the throat energy for sharing our truth. Mm. And our truth may be, I don't know. Yes, <laughs> I don't know exactly. what to say. Yeah, and just yes. by sharing that creates so much abundance. Mm-hmm. That's so true, man. And it's, it's the difference between saying, I'm not racist, but, and... <laughs> this may be racist. So let me know after I say it. And then you say it and they're like, yes, that was racist. And I'm like, okay, can you tell me how? And then I can understand yeah, yeah. how it was. Right. I don't know if everything I say could be deemed racist by someone else. I don't know if what every word that comes out of my mouth might hurt someone, but I'm not going to refrain from saying it at the fear that it might hurt. I'm going to say, if I said this, would it hurt you? And am I thinking wrong in expressing myself that way? Is there something I'm missing here? You got to open yourself up to criticism and improvement. And the only way to do that is to really, you know, be truthful about everything you feel. Yep. Share from, share from the heart, share from the heart. 
It's it's so true. I mean, all, all of this, like I have been, I have been that guy who's like, I don't see race, you know? And I was coming from a place of, I didn't really want to see the, the, the underbelly of racism. Mm. I almost just wanted to live in a world where it doesn't exist. And so if I just see everyone as, as beings who are, are here on this planet to like live the best life possible, then that's, that's a good thing, you know? Mm. Uh, but, you know, and then I had to realize that by being that person who's just like, no, I don't see race. Uh, yeah, I was I was blind to the fact that there's there's some issues that should be talked about and are not being talked about, which is why it's so cool. What's happening on this planet right now with like you and I having these com- having this conversation. You know, it's like when, when I was on your podcast, uh, I, I don't think a lot of this was really going down. Um, maybe it was like, I think it was like just started. I think we had our podcast like a day or two after George Floyd died. Right. Yeah. And the dialogue that's happened since has been, the energy has been so strong Mm -hmm. that you and I are are having this conversation about it. Like, how cool is that? Yeah. And I like what you said about like how you were, you were in that space where you just didn't see race and you seen everyone as equal beings. And, but then you realize you needed to see race in order to understand. And all I want to say is that you can exist on different dimensions at once. You can both understand that we are the same and that we are one consciousness. And at the same time, you can understand that we are different and have different circumstances. It's necessary to understand both. Because if you get too caught in the idea that we're different and we're just different, then that just creates more separation. But if you get too caught in the fact that we're all the same, then when somebody tries to speak to you about their experience, you're not going to listen to them. You're just going to like, get over it, you know, let it go. It's just your ego. And you're just going to expect them to just drop a lifetime worth of ego in one second, which is not something everyone can do, man. So <laughs> it's necessary to be operating on both dimensions, on both levels of consciousness, on the fact that we are all the same, but there are differences as well. Both are true at the same time. Yeah. To come from that perspective, that that that's 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 where you get the like the enlightened beings who who recognize it and then come back to share their enlightenment with mm-hmm. others. Mm-hmm. I'm curious as to where this is all headed. Yeah, you know? like the energy on this planet is is getting uh, more. The energy is increasing on this planet. Mm. Uh, I, I know you're in Canada, um, but here in the United States, we have a presidential election at, in November. Yeah. And there's always a lot of energy in that moment. There's a, like, it, there's polarizing sides of people who are just like fighting back and forth up to the point where like these two representatives of each side have these debates to the point where mm. everyone votes to choose a single person. Mm. And there's a lot writing on this emotion or on this election. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I can't say that we have a really good choice either <laughs> either way. To be, to be totally frank. You got a giant douche and a turd sandwich. <laughs> Which one are you going to choose? Well the douche or the turd sandwich? I know, right? It's uh, yeah, you can't really, you can't really win either way. I, I'm curious. I'm very curious to see because we are all capable of having awakenings. Mm. And I think right now people, humans on this planet are having awakenings at a much more rapid rate than ever in, mm. in history. Yep. And there's a chance that, you know, one of those guys at the higher up level could potentially have a, a Satori moment, right? That mm. brief moment of enlightenment. Yeah. 
So uh, my my uh, my hopes are on that. Mm-hmm. You never know, man. Yeah, it's very Good true. Stuff. It's very possible. A lot of people have written these people off completely. You know, they'll say that Trump or Biden will never change. They're old men set in their ways. But um, just a, a quick example that popped in my head. I don't know if this is for certain, but I've heard a lot of people uh, speculate that Trump is a uh, stimulant addict. I don't know if there's another word for it, but like um, people think that he's like, like on Adderall and stuff like that to keep him going. Hmm. And he exhibits a lot of symptoms of somebody who does have that addiction. Anyways, either way, let's say just for an example, he realizes that these drugs are killing him and then decides to get off of them. He might go through a real dark time in that, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like cleansing. No. It's like a dark night of the soul kind of. Yeah, but what's the what's the word when they say you get off like of drugs? Yes. When he goes through his detox, he might have some really profound thoughts. I mean, like, man, I've been living my mm-hmm. lo- whole life wrong. And this whole attachment I have to power and money and fame is ridiculous. You know, that's when we see those true, true moments. When we have those true moments, when we, when we understand the truth of things more deeply is either when we're in great joy and ecstasy or when we're in great fear. So he might end up actually dealing with some great fear to the point that he might have some revelations and then he might change completely. Who knows? Biden could do the same thing. Who knows? But either way, the idea of depending on those two to be our leaders is just asinine in itself. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the people have to start leading. You know what I mean? Everyone has to realize that this whole two party system is just, it doesn't work. And the whole idea of running a country on the falsehood that there isn't enough to go around doesn't work either. You know, if everybody in power just decided our main objective now is to take care of everyone on a basic level, give everyone the food and shelter and clothing they need, and then we'll see where we go from there, then we'll make great strides. But until we start to have those types of mentalities and have those types of ideas, then we're going to just repeat the process of bad leader after bad leader. be like, oh, how do we handle the budget? We only got so many billion dollars. Should we give it to the military so we can kill and steal more? Or should we give it to metal care so we can fix people's hearts when they've spent a lifetime eating poison? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like maybe we can stop eating the poison. Maybe we could stop being fearful of our, uh, our fellow earthlings and make a lot of different changes that way. You know, the, the answers are not going to come in. How do we balance the budget? It's how, how are we going to redistribute these resources to take care of everyone? And then that's our foundation, which we can build utopia on top of. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is fascinating how, how a president really doesn't affect us hardly at all. Mm. It's, it's, it's crazy. And it really does come down to the people. And I think once we unite, once we actually unite and realize that we are, we are we're all in this together, you know, like wh- whether you like guns, okay, cool. Like, you know, you like guns or you want to legalize weed, like, sweet. If we all worked together and we're like, what can we create that would be a benefit for all? Perhaps we can, then all of a sudden, the politicians, they, they just kind of follow whatever the, the people want yes. to, a, to a certain level. It's like politicians, I remember like I was looking on, uh, I was doing some research. This was maybe like six, seven years ago. And 
there were zero members of Congress, Senate, or any presidential candidate who endorsed legalizing marijuana. Mm. Zero. Mm -hmm. And now that people, the people, have reached that tipping point, over 50% agree that we should actually legalize this, this plant that, can, that has many beneficial purposes. Mm -hmm. Now we start to see politicians who are saying, yeah, I agree, we should legalize marijuana. We had, we had multiple presidential candidates who were, that was one of their things. The moment I get into office, we will legalize weed. It's mm -hmm. it, it's it's amazing. We we got we got so much power. We just don't realize it. Exactly. It is truly the people that speak, man. If we if the majority of people say this is how we want it to be, then our leaders are going to have to adapt because they want our vote. Simple as that. But uh, they're also known for rigging the vote as well. So <laughs> <laughs> who knows? Yeah. But, right. Yeah. We just got to unite, man. We got to unite. And I think I think we're getting there. I think we're getting there. I think it's taken it's taken some time. We got some skeletons in our closet. We gotta shake out, mm -hmm. dust things off a bit. Mm -hmm. But it's it's coming, man. Yeah, I, I think there's it's inevitable at this point. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I got no doubt. Yeah, I mean, I just signed a, a it was a petition, or I just signed where they need signatures to put something on the ballot, and it was mm -hmm. to legalize psilocybin mushrooms. Mm, right. Uh, here in Oregon, uh, I'm I'm here in Ashland, Oregon, and it would it essentially would make it so that you could go to a facility or a, to a doctor, who then gives you your mushroom trip, you know, oh. gives, gives you some some tea or a pill or however it's it's done, and you lay down and they just you know let you do your thing. Wow. And uh, is that is that only on a medical uh, standpoint, or is that recreational as well? That one would be just medical, mm -hmm. which. Gotcha. Um, I don't fully agree with, mm. uh, but it's a good stepping stone to get towards recreational as well. You mean you don't agree with it only being medical? Uh, I, yeah, I don't agree with it only being. I, yeah. I don't agree with uh, anyone getting in trouble for having a, a plant or for right. having, you know, I, I just that's just mm. ridiculous. That's that hyper masculinity which needs to like control. Mm. Yeah, and, we know what's good for you, kind of thing. We yeah, we know it's good for you. Like we're gonna treat you like a child. Like come yeah, on, exactly. come on. That's just the guys, you know. It's just the guys to uh, put in any any rule they want and say as long as they can say it's good for you, and we know it's good for you, and we're looking out for you, then they can get away with anything. But yeah. if you say we don't want you to decide what's good for us, I want to do what I want with my own being. I'm sovereign individual. I can choose how I want to use my body or use my mind. And we all take that power back and then we can do whatever we want from then on. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of those laws too are, are formed from racism. Mm. Formed from, oh, wait, we can use these things that people are using to control whoever we want. Yeah. We, you know, we know populations who are using them so we can control them. It's like, hmm, it's dangerous. Yeah, wasn't that uh, something Nixon did? Nixon, like, made it a big deal, made weed and other drugs a big deal because he wanted to target the, the, the black population or the Mexican population? Uh, the, that, that was early in the 1920s. There was William Randolph Hearst, here are some politicians. It, was, it happened in two waves. And in the 20s, uh, William Randolph Hearst owned all the printing presses and hemp became a thing. Mm. Uh, it, it started to encroach upon his industry. And so he owned the newspapers. So he was able to print 
in the newspaper, he literally printed stories that said uh, a black man raped a white woman because he was high on marijuana. Mm, yeah. He completely made it up out of absolutely right. nowhere. And then he was friends with the politicians who, yeah, wanted to control the Mexicans who were, you know, hanging out in, in, in the States. And they were all about, you know, smoking the weed, having a good time. And, and right. he saw that, the politicians saw that, they saw that they could come together and they could, um, they called it like mar- marijuana and, and it expelled like an Asia, I think. Mm-hmm. Basically using words that people didn't associate with the actual plant. Right. Didn't matter. They controlled the media. So they controlled the narrative, which then easily created these new laws. And they're able to arrest now. Yeah. Some of these Mexican people because of these new laws they created. And then, yeah, then Nixon came in and Nixon was a horribly corrupt politician who was uh, losing the Vietnam War, which was also a horrible war for us to be in in the first place. Mm. And uh it, he was very unpopular because he was losing a war. You know, a powerful nation in the, in, in the world is, is losing a war against, you know, this little country, Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And so he declared war on drugs. He started the war on drugs and he made all these drugs like fully illegal. The 1920s made them like basically, this made them like right. full spectrum illegal. Yeah, that, that's why marijuana is a schedule one drug, which is there's zero. <laughs> so outrageous, man. So ridiculous. Yeah. And uh, and and so uh, he he started to um, win the war on drugs. He started arrest. He would arrest sweeping arrests of people. Mm-hmm. And it actually worked. It worked really well. The more he said that he was arresting people for doing drugs and selling drugs, the more popular he became. Right. People didn't get it. They didn't understand that. that what was actually going on behind the scenes. And so after that, every, every politician would continue declaring this war on drugs. Yeah. Reagan threw a ton of, of, of kindling on that, on that fire. Yeah. And, and his wife. Yeah. Just say no. Just say no. All that anti-drug propaganda, mm-hmm. which worked really well for him. He became yeah. very popular because he was winning the war mm-hmm. on drugs. Which, right. if you look at it, is a war on your own citizens. Mm. Terrible, but we are yeah. we're, we're waking up. Have you ever actually heard that recording of Nixon talking about how he's got to get a handle on the Negro problem or the or the hippie problem? Yeah. So he made those drugs. He made psychedelics illegal so he could uh, justify imprisoning hippies because hippies were anti-war, and he wanted, I think. I guess the black population was smoking weed as well, or maybe there's another drug that was associated with them, but he knew, let's just say it was, smoke, uh, it was weed. He made uh, cannabis illegal as well. So he could get a hold on the civil rights movement. He fully admits it. Yeah. In this recording. And I think mm-hmm. it just, it came out recently mm-hmm. because of, you know, some, yeah. some, some law that like after a certain amount of time. Right. And yeah, he literally, like he says that. Mm-hmm. Alley open. Right, right. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. I want to, I want to control these people. Mm-hmm. It's, it's crazy. Thankfully we got the internet now. We can yeah, share right. this information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I was listening to Terrence McKenna and he's got, he, he, he talks about um, psychedelics, uh, mushrooms, DMT, all that kind of stuff. And he passed away um, like around 2000, but in the nineties when he was really given all his speeches, the internet didn't exist. Right. You know, people who were going to his events were going because 
they wanted to know what this was all about, like what these mm -hmm. what mushrooms actually did. Like, wait, it, it creates an experience for you. Like, where do you like? How do you? How does it work? How do you get them? Like all, all that. And you know, pe people wanted that information, and they had to seek it out. They had to actually go to events and find people who were possibly going through their town to get the information. Mm -hmm. You know, contrast that with now, where you just type in a Google search, "What are the benefits yeah. of psilocybin mushrooms?" And go to irwid.com or irwid.org. Yeah. Can't remember. Yeah, yeah. Here's some trip reports. You know. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. What's dangerous about it? What's not dangerous about it? Like, yeah, is there a lethal dose? Like with mushrooms. Um, is a misconception that that they're poisonous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not poisonous at all. One hundred percent not poisonous. It's it's actually impossible to 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 die from from mushrooms. The only the only way to die is if you eat so much your stomach explodes. Right. <laughs> like twenty pounds of you know. So it's like yeah. So we're spreading good information. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, I remember hearing that when I was younger. Of course, that the reason why you get high from magic mushrooms is because you are ha it's poison and your body develops a fever to try to get rid of the poison and the fever is how you trip. Uh, I never looked into it deeply, but then I remember hearing years later that that was actually not true. It doesn't operate that way. And that's not why it happens. Yeah. yeah it is just a chemical compound that exists within the mushroom that uh, I guess um, triggers a certain receptor in your brain that just allows your brain to open up more, expand more. I know that LSD uh, is the chemical compound of LSD is so similar to that of serotonin and serotonin is basically the neurotransmitter that connects all the parts of your brain. So when you have more serotonin in your blood and goes beyond the brain barrier, then your brain just opens up more, connects to more parts. Instead of just operating one part at one time, you're operating many parts at one time. So you start to see things more clearly and see things from a different perspective. So LSD is so similar to serotonin in chemical makeup that it basically uh fills in the same receptors that serotonin would yeah lsd also trying to legalize that and, and there are many initiatives to legalize that in many states mm, because it's cool. it's it helps as well you know th mm. these are these are these are medicine yep and if it's used with respect yeah exactly you know got to have that disclaimer there because if you're going into lsd for a party and a good time you are gonna have a bad time <laughs> <laughs> Actually, go into it with healing intent and understanding more and seeing more and connecting more, then it can be profoundly healing. Yeah, I think all, all of these sorts of psychedelics, I, I have a huge respect for them. Having having done them myself, uh, I realized that, yeah, it's 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 not just like party drugs, you know, like these are sacred experiences that are extraordinary. It's impossible to explain the psychedelic experience to someone who's never experienced it really is, yeah. A psychedelic trip. It's impossible. It's 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 not even. You know, I, I've I've got relatives. I I know people who have never had that experience and are quite mm -hmm. biased against them. Yeah. And it's just drugs. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> For everything. Mm -hmm. It's all just drugs are bad. It's the whole Reagan thing. Yeah, Don't do drugs. Drugs are bad. And it's yeah. so programmed. So much brainwashing oh, yeah. has happened with our society that. We, uh, it, it, it amazes me that people are, that people still think that way. You know, I'm kind of in a bubble with, with people who are more open-minded. Um, mm. when I, when I step into the bubbles where people aren't yet that open-minded about these things, I'm like, wait, you still don't think weed should be legalized? <laughs> yeah, <right>. You're still <laughs> back there. It's legal, fully legal in Canada, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But so it's, you can, it's pretty much a monopoly now. 
They just, oh. they made it theirs. <laughs> the government is it, is a corporate thing now. Yeah. Um, our, our liquor stores are government operated as well. And a lot of provinces in Canada only sell cannabis through their liquor stores. And uh, there's a lot of restrictions wow. still. They've changed a little bit. They've gotten better, but we still got a long way to go. Like when I, when it first got legalized, I actually worked at a dispensary. It's called Tweed. And one of the rules was when we sold something to someone, we had to tell them that they had to keep it sealed. Like it's a sealed container. They had to keep the container sealed until they got home. And even when they get in their car, it's got to be out of their reach. If they have a trunk, it has to be in their trunk. If they don't have a trunk, it has to be in the very back seat as far as away from you as possible. <laughs> I think we are like, but anyways, and then if you go home and you open, say if you bought a container of like 30 grams, cause sometimes it comes in 30 grams and you open the container, took a bit out, smoke some for yourself that night. But then the next night your buddy's like, Hey, come over, we'll get high. You could even, you get a cab so you don't drive, but you can't take your container that's got the broken seal in a vehicle. If the seal is broken, you can't take it anywhere. Is that still the law? I don't know. It, it was when it first legalized in 2017. I don't know if it's changed since. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's crazy. You know, it's like, it's nice that it's legalizing slowly. Yeah. You know, it's like baby steps, yeah, you know, exactly. like, Okay, we'll we'll get there. We'll get there eventually. We'll get there eventually. We're making strides, but yeah, treating people like kids is is funny. And it is, yeah. You know, the politicians also have to appease the people, the politicians who are just one hundred percent closed minded and asleep. Yeah. You know, like, hey guys, this is going to make us a lot of money. Yeah. You know, hey guys, we will put all these regulations around it. They can't even they can't even open it so they get home. You know, mm. <laughs> can't smell. Nope, nope. They got to wait and they're like, oh, okay, okay, fine. You know, like, <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As long as you entice them with the almighty dollar. Oh yeah. Make changes. Uh, oh yeah. I was surprised that, um, cause there, on our, in the, in the States, like the Democrats have always been a, a bit more open-minded about it. And on the Republican side, they've always been a bit more closed-minded about it. Mm -hmm. um, but I was surprised to see a, a group of Republicans um, one who was a former Speaker of the House who was putting advertisements online that were pro-marijuana advertisements. Oh, okay. And, and he's like, full gung-ho, let's legalize this completely. And I was like, right really? And so I clicked it, and I, he has a whole presentation. I watched it, and the whole presentation is about this industry is about to blow up. Mm. You're going to make so much money, and here's how you too can make money. Subscribe to our newsletter and we'll share all the stock tips for all the latest marijuana, cannabis, everything. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay. So that's their language. Mm -hmm. the, the people who, who, who their language is money, that's their language. And that's what is going to get them to want to legalize it. Mm -hmm. like, oh, okay. You know, to each zone, I suppose. Mm -hmm. yeah, man. Right? But what I loved was that he, he was speaking the Republican language while he's, yeah. he's like, so I know you've, you've heard that this can destroy your brain cells but you know what they found and like using all these like study based facts is all fact 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 mm -hmm. and i just found it quite fascinating to to watch them just really be like super pro marijuana and, and how their approach was yeah right? mm -hmm. so i find yeah. it interesting that i've often said this that um capitalism or even just a monetary system in general is inherently 
self-destructive because they are going with what the people want. If the people want to buy weed and they see it as an industry, then they are going to support it. So the same thing with like a lot more healing is going to happen now because like you said, can uh, psilocybin, LSD are, might be become legalized because businesses are going to want to make money from it. Same things with like a lot of people are getting more into like uh, traditional medicines. Like, you know, you got Chinese medicine or homeopathy or things like that. People are going to school for these things. So there's going to be a big market for it. And capitalism is going to adapt to that market. And then eventually the whole population is going to be taking advantage of these healing mechanisms, understanding on a deeper level that we can heal ourselves. Mm. And then it's just going to be like, what are we still doing this capitalism nonsense for? Why don't we just take care of everyone? So it's, it's funny how capitalism built itself up to this point, but now since it's going with our demands and listening to the people to see what we want, what we want is truth and what we want is healing and what we want is love. So they're just going to keep selling that to us. But then eventually we're going to realize that we can get it from ourselves and each other and we're not going to need the system anymore and the system's just going to fall away. It's like capitalism's the gateway drug to awakening. <laughs> yeah. Just keep giving the people what they want, you know? Yeah, man. And if everyone does their part with sharing what people actually want, then mm-hmm. it will eventually lead. It's like right now, the, the, the largest growing industry is the mm-hmm. self-development industry. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's yep. becoming like multi, multi-billion dollar industry. Yep. And like Tony Robbins had this whole thing about it, how it's like, it's blowing. Because he was like OG in like the 90s, like right. self-development. But now it's like Kevin Hart, I just, uh, the comedian uh, actor, he just released a, an audible book. It's in like an audio book. I think it's only audiobook format. And it's a, it's a self-development book. Mm. But it's, it's, it's like half comedy, like him kind of like being funny mixed mm-hmm. with like how you can live your best life. Right. You know, it's going mainstream. And I think mm. that is people's desire to be healed. Yeah, man. People want it. And I think we're ready for it. Oh, 100%, man. Absolutely. Uh, and it's it so different from the, just when we were kids. I can remember when we were kids to improve yourself, got you called gay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or like pansy or like to be, to show any form of emotion was like, yeah. if you're trying to better yourself in some way, it was like this statement out to the world that you're not confident in who you are. So everyone jumped on you and like, you're like a bleeding antelope or something. And we're like, Oh, you're trying to better yourself. What do you, you know, some derogatory term. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Right. And like, even, even like the word gay, I remember, uh, like I, I would say that to you, I'd be like, Oh, that's gay. You know, I just, mm, yeah. just, you call, you call that, you call things like that. gay. And then I remember my, my, my like best friend growing up came, came out of the closet. He's like, yeah, so I'm gay. I was like, mm. no way, that's crazy. And <laughs> and and because he was like totally like straight, you know, he like seemed yeah. straight, you know, he, right? Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's nuts. And then I was like, what do you think about like when people call things gay? Mm. And, and he's like, well, actually, like it really hurts my feelings. Mm. And I was like, mm. whoa, yeah. Like, eh? my mom I yeah. And I ne- after that, I was like never called anything gay is mm-hmm. I, I didn't get it you know mm-hmm. so i didn't get I it i didn't have that same feel anymore because like one way i explained it to my friends was that we use those words when we're kids because it makes us feel good because it makes you feel powerful to do something you're not supposed to do mm-hmm. like when you're a little kid you're told not to say the word fuck 
So then when you do say it with your friends, when your mom's not around, you feel powerful. You're like, hell yeah, fuck you. You know, you feel strong. You feel like independent. So when then someone's yeah. like, don't call that gay, like screw you, I'll call gay if I want to. You ain't going to tell me what to do. But then when you realize you're really truly hurting people around you, then you're like, well, I don't want to hurt people. I just, you know, I just want to do what my mom tells me I can't. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And that rebelliousness kind of goes away when you realize that you're hurting people you love, you know? Yeah. And if you have no association to someone who's homosexual and, and it's just, it's, it's another world, then it, as you're like making fun of it, it or using derogatory words that, that are, you know, not complimentary for it, it's... Mm -hmm you it, it seems okay it's like oh that's just that thing you know it's it's kind of like you know how we're how we're talking about with like racism and all of that like i think there's a lot of people who grow up uh, a lot of like white people who grow up in pure white culture you know all their friends are white everyone they don't even they're probably not even friends with a, a black person and so you know they might be like subtly racist and they, mm -hmm. they think it's funny but then if they got a friend who is black and they actually saw how much being like subtly racist, like actually hurt them and affected their life, all of a sudden, I think people would open up, mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, yeah, exactly. you'll less sacrifice racist. that little bit of humor, you know, you'll make that sacrifice to get rid of that joke you made, you know, who cares? I don't care about this joke anymore, even though it made me laugh at one point. Now I understand that it also hurts. So I'm just going to choose not to tell that joke anymore. Like I remember when I was like 11 or 12 years old, I visited my mom's hometown for the summer and I got, I was part of like a summer recreation program. And one day um, the counselors, who I guess were probably teenagers, probably like 16 or 17 years old. They took us all on a walk in that town. There's the steps and these steps is like a couple hundred steps going up to the top of a mountain. So we did the steps together and the whole time from, from when we started, started at the bottom to the steps all the way to the top all the way back down one of the counselors who was a teenager was telling all of us 10 year olds black jokes and we were all dying laughing the whole time we thought it was hilarious and i told some of those jokes for years because i thought they were so funny but then when i was in high school i actually got a black friend hmm. and i was like well, i'm not gonna say those jokes around him but honestly i was pretty open with um my level of racism i guess for lack of a better term because when i met him you know i listened to a lot of rap music and i never censored myself when i sang along i said the n-word with gusto so when i was around him i was i felt i think it was one of my buddies who just we were hanging out with our new black friend and we wanted to be cool like it wasn't because we disrespected him we honestly thought of him as cooler than us because he was black which is kind of still racist in a sense <laughs> even though we thought of him as better than us we uh we seen him as different and that was the main point right but my friend would start dropping n-bombs around him just be like what's up my you know and then he would be like yeah what's up and we thought we were the coolest white dudes in the world because we had a black friend who would let us say the n-word to him but then he seemed totally fine with it, but I connected with him again last summer for the first time in many years. Like we, we spoke over Facebook off and on for many years, but the first time I seen him in person was last year. And I was like, man, I'm just curious. How did you feel when we were kids, when we were teenagers about us dropping the N-bomb all the time around you? He's like, I fucking hated it, man. I was like, wow. why didn't you say something? He's like, well, I wanted to be cool. 
I wanted to be accepted by you guys. You guys were cool dudes. And we want, I wanted to be part of your group. And I was like, God damn, man, I'm so sorry. Like I had no idea. I thought we were like com comrades. Like we were buddies. We were, you know, we were brothers kind of thing. You know, that's the way I felt about it. I didn't ever say it with any disparaging kind of feeling towards him, but it still made him feel like he was outside of the crowd. He was the only black kid in our whole school. So he felt like he was an outcast because we use that word all the time. So I was like, well, I'm definitely not going to say that to you anymore. And I was just like, why would I, when I know it doesn't make you happy? I did it before because I thought we were both enjoying it, but you weren't. And I'm sorry for that. He's like, it's okay, man. I could have very well spoken up and said something, but I was, you know, I didn't have the courage to. I was like, well, you know, that's the world we live in, I guess. So, yeah. It's, it's like, like people can say like, oh, I, I'm not racist. Like I, I like black people, but then that same person can also, you know, oh, find like those kind of jokes funny or, or mm -hmm. like, or, or not. It's like not see how, like not see that, that life might be more difficult for a black person, like not mm -hmm. see that the system isn't working in their favor. And I think what we're getting at right now on the planet is that it's not enough to just be like, I'm, I'm not racist. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's not enough to just, just simply say that we, we need to speak up. We need to look at what our, our, the society we've all agreed to live in, mm. how it's, it's, it's not working in, in their favor. You know, it's like, now is a time where we can't be silent. We got we to gotta share like your stories. Like I appreciate you sharing that story because I'm sure a lot of people can relate. And maybe there's some people who are still, you know, telling those jokes, thinking it's funny and not realizing that it may hurt people. You know, it's like exactly. th there's certainly lines like, you know, there, there's comedians who, who have a, a lot of different race jokes. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, where where is the line? when it comes to, to race jokes, mm -hmm. telling, telling a joke that you think is funny, maybe disparaging a different race. Like, mm -hmm. honestly, I, I don't know where all the lines are, but it's hard uh, to draw. yeah, I, I, it's all about your own discernment to me, man. You know, if I'm with a friend who I know is not offended by anything and he tells me a joke that might be offensive to someone else, I too am not offended by anything. So if I genuinely find the joke funny, I might laugh, but I'm not going to go and take that joke and say it around somebody I don't know because I don't know how that person feels. And then the next level is, is if like a friend tells a joke, that's like kind of like making fun of black people or something like that. Like mm -hmm. actually speaking up and being like, dude, that's not cool. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's next yeah. level, you know, like actually speaking yeah. up. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah. yeah, it's like, it's like when, when I was with my friends and we all were all like shooting animals and I was trying to shoot the, 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 like branch so that it would scare the bird. Mm. I wasn't speaking up. I was mm. participating. I yeah. could have easily been like, guys, killing animals is dumb. Like <laughs> yeah. to, to make an animal suffer is the, the silliest thing I've heard. Like, don't do this. I'm not going to do it. I'm putting my gun down. I'm out of here. Mm. You know, but I, I didn't do that. And I think right now we have, it's, it's, it's about speaking up against. Mm all that stuff rather than just kind of like being silent and being like, I'm not racist. I'm just silent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when you say words like that, it does um, make me think a little bit differently about it. Like when you said speaking up against with the way I operate and with the way I understand things, I'm not against 
anything in a sense. Mm. Like I don't actively push away or try to squash out anything. I try to transform. So the way I do that is by sharing the knowledge because truthfully, any type of discrimination is ignorance. That's all it is. If you don't think of another race or another gender or another religion as as good as you, it's because you are ignorant. It's because you are not aware of something. So to me, the remedy is not to say, I hate you because you hate, because that just creates more hate. It's to like, listen, this is why what you're doing is hateful. Could you hear my opinion? So you might be able to get a different perspective. So I think like education and knowledge is the key when it comes to this, to understanding how other people feel and how they operate. Rather, like I admire, like I, I totally understand where the, all these movements are coming from. They're like, uh, a friend of mine has a uh, uh, like a Facebook photo that says, "Let's make racists afraid again," and that just doesn't resonate with me because. If anything, giving them more fear is going to give them more anger. It's going to give them more confusion. It's going to give them more hatred. But if you say, you know, listen, this, let me explain why your point of view might be limiting in some way. And you might not understand how somebody actually feels when you have these ideologies, then they might open up. You know what I mean? I don't think fear, imposing fear on someone necessarily wakes them up. It can, sure. You know, you can get into a, a dark state where you're so scared that you don't know what else to do that you just kind of snap out of it. But I think the most productive way to make change is to transform the energy rather than trying to squash out or vanquish the negative energy. Because when you try to vanquish something, you're denying an aspect of yourself. We all have tendencies within ourselves to feel separate so rather than being like i don't like that part of me i hate it i don't want it to be here anymore you're not actually getting rid of it you're denying it and you're just putting it aside and it's still existing and still obtaining the energy of your own fear and then it comes back at you at some point with even more energy so it's not like you've got to hate yourself for having racist thoughts you should look at yourself and try to understand why do I have racist thoughts and then when, and forgive yourself for it because it's all our conditioning. Like I never had a bad intention when I was calling my friend, the N word, never had anything in me that wanted to hurt him. If anything, I wanted him to make him feel good, but I, that was just my conditioning. You know, I grew up idolizing rappers and thought, man, they got such a cool thing going on. They got this brotherhood. White people don't, when, when white people have a brotherhood, it's not looked at in a positive light. So I wanted to be a part of their brotherhood, you know? So that's where it came from. It came from the desire from camaraderie or community, but it was just manifested in a negative way that actually hurt people. So yeah, I think it's necessary to try to understand where your racist habits come from. You may not have the racist heart. You may not actually have any hatred in you, but you may have habits or tendencies that are, potentially harmful to someone else and you should become aware of that and try to transmute it into something more positive. Michael. Mm. Amen. <laughs> Amen, brother. I, I love having you on. This mm. has been a, a really fun conversation and yeah, really kind of vulnerable uh, mm. speaking about all this stuff. It's just mm -hmm. been just so great. Uh, before we wrap things up, um, I know you've got an awesome podcast that uh, you interview people, you go deep with people. 
Um, similar to this, I think people would really dig it. Um, share with people where they can find it and where they can find you. Okay. Um, well, my podcast is called Further Liberation. Uh, you can what does that mean? That. Well, for me, what really made me awakened or enlightened or whatever you want to call it was the fact that I recognize that my freedom is always possible. Mm. Um, I don't have to be tied down by any particular thought or belief or by anything anybody else is telling me to do. I get to choose my own life. So that to me was liberating. I think I was liberated from my own negative beliefs, but I was also liberated from all the things I was doing in my life that I felt like were necessary. I chose, I chose never to work another job I didn't believe in. I was like, I'm not going to do it. I'm free to do as I please. Even if I'm poor, I don't care. I'm going to do work that I, I choose to do. And I noticed that my mind would go into negative states when I was basically being controlled by my own thoughts, my own previous beliefs that were based on some sort of thing I developed when I was a kid. So I realized that I was liberated from my own pattern of thinking and I was liberated from my own pattern of emotion and I was liberated from my own external circumstances because I chose to only do what I believe in. So I think that's kind of necessary for all people to recognize their own sovereignty, recognize that they do have their freedom, even though you look around and you feel like you're not free because you're governed by the fear of not having enough to money to eat or whatever like that. There are ways of getting around that. There are ways of still being free in this ostensibly unfree world. And there's ways of creating a free world. So that's essentially what it is. My podcast is intended to further the liberation of all beings. So that's Sweet. essentially where the name comes from. Love it. So where can people find your podcast? And so where, it's where on YouTube. YouTube? Uh, you can just search it on YouTube, you, Further Liberation. I, I do have a website, what is more geared to what I do uh, professionally, I suppose. Um, even though I don't necessarily identify with any one particular label, you could call me a coach, you could call me a spiritual guide, you could call me a healer. What I do is I just work with people um, on a deep level to find out what it is that's holding them back. And then we encourage basically their truest, highest self so they can become exactly who they're, they want to be, who they feel they're supposed to be, find their true purpose. So I do that as well. That's all at furtherliberation.com. Uh, my podcast is also on there. And then what else? I feel like there's more. My Instagram is just Michael underscore John, and that's J-A-W-N. And uh, I have a YouTube. Well, yeah, Further Liberation is on YouTube, but I've got a couple videos on that channel as well that aren't really podcast format. It's just me basically getting used to putting myself out there. I've recorded those a few years back. So if you want to learn more about me, uh, you can go to my YouTube channel or you can go to my website or go to my Instagram. That's, I think that's basically it. Instagram, YouTube. Uh, my podcast is also on all the major platforms, Spotify, iTunes, uh, Google Play. You can find it on there on their further liberation as well. And I'll include some links to all these in the show description. So uh, if you're tagging along, you can just tap that link and, and get some, some Michael goodness. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate the light that you spread. I appreciate who you are. And uh, I just had a, a ton of fun. So thank you. Me too. All right, and guys, thank you for, go ahead. Uh, so it's just my pleasure, man. My Let's pleasure. All around. Here we go. Let's create this new earth. Mm -hmm. let's, just, let's just keep it going. Let's just keep it going. Yes. Sir. All right, everyone. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Deep Shift. We'll be back again. Till next time, take care. Peace. 